be in our lives. So you stand up and join us as we sing My Redeemer Lives.
see the hope of heaven shining like the rising sun. Now forever lifted up from death to life. There's no fear in love and no darkness in his endless light. Beyond the skies above, love reaching out for us, the everlasting one, Jesus our God. Oh, we look to the sun, set our eyes on the Savior, see the image of love, sing His praises forever. Oh, we look to the sun.
no other name Jesus Jesus my heart will sing no other name Jesus Jesus my heart will sing no other name Jesus Jesus Welcome. Um, we're so glad that you're here today. Um, during this time in our worship service, we um, take prayer, prayer concerns, requests, or joys so that we can be praying for each other as a community of faith. And I know that there are a lot of visitors, and it's okay if you don't want to raise your hand and share a prayer. If you do, we have some mic runners that would um, let us know what that is. And I did hear, we heard um, Shirley's husband last week was having um, bladder cancer surgery and that he came through his surgery well but um, please keep Ray in your prayers and Shirley as she cares for him. Is there anything else we could be praying for today? Right here. He's coming up behind you. My girlfriend Jennifer here, uh, Gary and Cindy's daughter, she's going to Haiti for a week on Tuesday with her team from our local church back home in Oh, my uh, Sanford area. Yeah, so please keep her in prayer. We will. Yeah, Thank there's a, there's you. There's a tremendous need down there, and they're going under some really extreme conditions, as you know. So. Oh, my gosh. God that. bless that um, journey for you. We did a huge collection here. There was a little girl, I think, in first grade that rallied her school, and they, like, collected... $1,100, these little first graders, to send some aid down one of that first wave. Um, so God bless you. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Anything else that we can be praying for? All right. So if you could reach the hand of someone near you, because we like to hold hands when we pray. And how about if I do this and this? Let's join our hands and our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, today is the celebration, the greatest celebration of all. Your son rose from the dead just as you said he would, and we are so grateful as your people. But Lord, we are still on earth, broken hearts, broken bodies, broken relationships. Lord, we ask that you fill us up with your love so that we might be that healing touch so that those around us might actually see a glimmer of you in us as we try to love the way you taught us how to love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, welcome to the third worship service. We were out at the beach this morning. The band was out there too. Who was out at the beach this morning at 6.30? Sweet, and even earlier, it was awesome. So anytime you can do that service out at Lido, highly recommend it, really great. Uh, just did one traditional service over there with brass and strings, and you can do that again at 11 if you want. And here we are here, so it's really great. I know we had, I think, over 1,000 people out at Lido, and I know a lot of our folks who um, worship here were out there as well. So welcome, welcome. A uh, couple of things. Next week, we are having one worship service on this whole entire campus because we're celebrating our 60th anniversary. So we are all, you guys are good because you come at 10, 
They're all going to have to change, but we are coming at 10. We're going to worship over there, a blended service, and then we're going to have a big um, church picnic, so hamburgers and hot dogs and all that kind of stuff, old-fashioned kind of way. So we hope that you can join us for that. And do we have any children here today? We have something really special to show you. If you want to come up here, um, Miss Carol is going to... Oh, I know this one. Miss Carol is going to show you something really, really special. And then if you want to go up with her afterwards, you could have even some more time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Ah, hello. Welcome. Come. We have something really special. So you guys know what this is, right? What is this? And a what? An egg. Did you guys get any eggs this morning? Yeah. So... <laughs> What do you suppose the Easter has to do with eggs? What? Nothing. <laughs> Anything? Eggs. Do, do you guys think you know what an egg has to do with Easter? Well, look at this. Okay, so this is an egg, right? You have money in an egg? Wow, let's see if I've got money in this egg. Oh, there's no money in there, but an egg is like a little tomb, right? Something lives inside of an egg, right? So what do you suppose, what do you think lives in an egg? Hmm. An egg gives us new life, just like Jesus gives us new life. And you know what? I want to show you something really care of quiet. Okay, Parker, maybe you want to pull that out and show them. Hmm. Let's see. It is. Look at that. You want to look at him? Out of an egg comes life. Come see the, come see the chick. So if you guys want to join us upstairs, we have a whole bunch of little chicks. You're welcome to come up into kids' worship, and they'll get to do a craft. And... Um, you can pick them up in room 205 or 207. That's where they'll get to see the chicks. So, okay. That's awesome. So as they're making their way upstairs, um, and you guys can decide if your kids stay or go up, why don't you stand up and greet your neighbors? Okay. So this is the part of our service where we are worshiping and are giving. Um, next to your, the ends of the rows, we have these bags. You can just take those and um, pass it along, and then our ushers will come forward and collect it. And then when you're finished, uh, stand up and join us as we continue to worship our risen king.
sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The Lamb was overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The Lamb was overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The Lamb is overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The Lamb is overcome.
Happy Easter, everyone. Now, on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astonished us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Music stops when I show up. (laughs) Happy Easter. Easter. It is so great to be here on this great day. Uh, And we got the Easter Bunny over here. (laughs) Let's see the Easter Bunny. Show us the Easter Bunny. Stand her up. Nobody can see her. There's the Easter Bunny. (laughs) Who says Church of the Palms doesn't believe in the Easter Bunny, huh? So it's great to be here. Do you hear that too? Music is behind me. Excuse the tie, it's my Easter tie. So I had to wear my tie for Easter. If you look really close, you'll see it's golf balls and golf clubs on it, but a very sacred symbol of Easter. So let's pray. Thanks, O God, for your gracious love your wonder, your mysterious grace. We pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point us back to this incredible story and to remember again all of what we believe, all of why we're here, and all of what we're meant to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is this too loud? No? Good? Okay. Well, a year ago, I had the chance to sit on a federal jury up in Tampa, just uh, almost a year ago. And for my entire adult life, I rested comfortably with the assurance that lawyers never select pastors for juries because we're too nice. Evidently, I don't look very nice, and so they picked me. And 
It, I even ended up as the foreman of the jury, which means I really must not be very nice. It was a five-day trial. It was product liability. We had to deem whether a certain product was deficient and the cause of some serious house damage. It was a very technical case, high above my pay grade. Experts from all over the country were brought in to testify about the materials, the physics, the atmospheric conditions, and we on the jury were left to decide and to discern the veracity of the testimony and the strength of the case brought by the prosecution against the defense. It was five of the most interesting days of my life, and it would take an entire sermon to explain that last sentence, but one of the reasons it was interesting to me was that it was not a slam dunk case. Questions hovered, some never adequately answered, the field of evidence had been compromised, and, and like in most trials, we jurors were left to judge not only on the substance on the evidence, but also the integrity of the testimony. And when we went to deliberations, we jurors didn't all agree at the outset. It wasn't 12 angry men, but it, but it took a while to get onto the same page. Now, since this trial took place just after Easter last year, it left me to think about the story I had just preached upon last year and upon which I'm preaching today, the resurrection of Jesus. How would the resurrection of Jesus stand up in court? If you and I were sitting on a jury, how would we weigh the evidence? How, could we, how would we judge the integrity of the testimony? Because, you know, at best, the gospel writers paint for us a very confusing scene. The shadows of an early morning, one moment an empty tomb, grave clothes strewn about, another moment the tomb occupied by two visitors dressed in white, asking what the crying is all about, and then a man wandering by who first looks like the gardener, and then all of a sudden he looks like Jesus, and then all this testimony offered by a woman who has tears in her eyes and is reported to have once been possessed by seven demons. There are holes in this story big enough through which to drive a Mack truck, and no iPhone videos of Jesus reaccommodating himself. So call to the witness stand the further corroboration of the two men that we heard about in our story this morning, the two travelers to Emmaus. Perry Mason would have had them for lunch. Imagine. So, gentlemen, you say you were walking down the road, and a man joined you, but you didn't recognize him. Is that true? Yes. You say you talked with him for quite a while, and yet you did not recall his voice. Uh, yes. You say you ex he explained to you the teachings of the Old Testament and that pointed you to the resurrection of the Messiah, and still you did not put two and two together. Yes. And you say it wasn't until you had dinner together and he took, blessed, and broke the bread and gave it to you that finally your eyes were open. Uh, yes. And now you're expecting this court to believe your testimony that the dead man Jesus is now alive. Uh, yes. I have no further questions, Your Honor. Let's be honest, no prosecuting attorney worth his or her salt could not pull out of the story a reasonable doubt. Too many shadows, too many tears, too many unanswered questions. I mean, the whole thing just would not hold up in court. But of course, it was never supposed to hold up in court. If the gospel writers had been concerned about something holding up in court, they would have wrote a very different story. The sun would have been half up into the sky. The angels would have waited for Mary to come before they rolled the stone away. Jesus would have appeared with a name tag that said, hello, my name is Jesus. And of course, Mary would have had no tears in her eyes because she would have taken it rather matter-of-factly. Oh, hey, Jesus, where you been? And those travelers to Emmaus would have recognized him right from the start. But that's not how resurrections occur. Resurrections are confusing. They are surprising. They are tearful. They are unsettling. And they are often the last thing we expect. And at the end of the day, all that Mary and those men can say, having been cross-examined by the throngs, is, I can't explain the shadows, I can't explain the stone, I can't explain the angels, I can't explain the gardener, I can't explain the breaking of the bread, but this I know, I heard the voice, I felt the presence, I saw the movement, and I know he's alive. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, it doesn't matter what, whether it holds up in court, what matters is that it holds up in here. What matters is I heard the voice, I felt the presence, I saw the movement, 
and I know he's alive. That has always been the witness of the church. Individuals like you and me saying, I've heard the voice, I've felt the presence, I've seen the movement, and I believe the testimony of those who were there, and I know he's alive. It was the witness of Mary, of Thomas, of Peter, of Paul, of the men walking to Emmaus, of the 500 who witnessed his appearing. It may not hold up in court, they say, but it holds up here. It holds up inside me. When I was 14 years old, my parents took me to what was then the Soviet Union. It was the height of the Cold War. The Berlin Wall was still an impenetrable fortress. We passed through Checkpoint Charlie into East Berlin and then flew to Moscow and then later to Leningrad, which was then Leningrad, now St. Petersburg. It made for another one of the series of the most interesting days of my life. And what struck me as a 14-year-old, Behind the Iron Curtain were all the empty churches, all the empty churches and cathedrals. Religion had been outlawed, padlocks on cathedral doors, beautiful multi-dome Byzantine houses of worship vacated, some left to be museums. So if you were a social scientist, you, may have po you would point to that moment, to that day, to those places, and render the verdict that God was dead, Jesus was dead, his beautiful mansions empty of the trace of God's presence. But of course, such a, so social, such a social scientist would have been dead wrong because he would have looked in all the wrong places. He would have missed the very place where the risen Jesus abides, inside his people, inside the caverns of people who quietly back then said their prayers paid homage to their icons, and sang their doxologies. On that first Easter morning, a startled woman staggers from the shadows of a cemetery and from the bottom of her heart preaches the first Christian sermon. I have seen the Lord. And later the chorus comes from those two perplexed travelers. We have seen the Lord too. Father Gregory Boyle, author of one of the better books I've read, Tattoos on the Heart, tells of the time when he was a young, wet-behind-the-ears novice priest and was sent to Bolivia to serve the people there. So with broken Spanish, this young priest went and struggled there to make a difference. And he tells of the time when he was asked to go up into the mountains to a village where dwelled a tribe of people who had not seen a priest for over a decade so the younger father, young father boy went, and on his way up the mountain, he realized that he had forgotten his service book, the book that he had to have in order to conduct mass. So, so not only did he not know, know enough Spanish, he didn't even have the liturgy to limp through. So he arrives at the village, stumbles through the liturgy, making up things as he goes, doing his best to quote any scripture that could come to mind, feeling at the end of it all quite the sham found the experience devastating, humiliated, and felt like the worst priest walking the planet. As he gathers his belongings to make the dejected track down, back down the mountain, he looks across an empty field ahead and notices an old man walking across the field toward him. He appears ancient, Boyle writes, but I suspect his body has been weathered by work and the burden of an Indian's life. As he nears me, I see he is wearing tethered wool pants with a white button-down shirt, greatly frayed at the collar. He has a rope for a belt. His suit coat is coarse and worn. He has a fedora toughened by the years. He is wearing sandals, and his feet are caked with Bolivian mud. Any place that a human face can have wrinkles and creases, he has them. He is at least a foot shorter than I, and he stands right in front of me and says, Gracias por haber venido. Thank you for coming. And before I can speak, Boyle continues, the old man reaches into the pockets of his suit coat and retrieves two fistfuls of multicolored rose petals. He's on the tips of his toes, and he drops the petals over my head. He digs back into his pockets again and manages two more fistfuls of petals and drops them again over my head. He does this again 
and again and again, and the stores of red, pink, and yellow rose petals seems infinite. I just stand there and let him do this, staring at my own sandals, now moistened with my own tears, covered with rose petals. Finally, he takes his leave, and I'm there alone with only the bright aroma of roses. Boyle concludes, for all the many, many times I would return to that village and see the same villagers over and over, I never saw the old man again. I heard the voice. I felt the presence. I saw the movement. I smelled the roses. I know he's alive. Forty-five years ago, during the throes of the Vietnam War, several South Vietnamese civilians, men, women, and children, huddled close in their pagodas, seeking shelter from the raging war outside. And then came the planes, then came the napalm, and then came the fire that consumed their dwelling, killing many of them instantly, and sending one of them, a nine-year-old girl, Kim Phuc, badly burned, running for her life. Many of us remember that picture of her running in terror and tears along with other children out of her village down the road. For years she continued to run. Her life has been running from months in the hospital to years in an orphanage to a time in Cuba to political exile in Newfoundland and to the refuge and hospitality of Canadian Quakers. I don't know where and when it happened, but somewhere along the way amidst the confusion and the shadows of her life, amidst the unbearable pain and fear, the risen one appeared to her. The risen Christ appeared. Somewhere along the way she heard his voice, felt his presence, saw his movement. It may explain how this victim of war could stand in, of all places, the American Vietnam War Memorial, as she did years ago, and said to our country, I forgive you. Oh, I suppose you could bring evidence of her life to court, the pictures and the scars, and get a jury to say about that day, there is no God. But Kim Phuc knows better. Startled and staggering from the shadows of her cemetery life, she preaches her own sermon. I've heard the voice. I felt the presence. I have seen the movement. I have seen the Lord. And that, my friends, is what Easter is about, right? Amidst the darkness of the shadows, the pool of tears, startled and confused, despite even evidence to the contrary, in the end, it's in here. It holds up in here. We have heard the voice. We have felt the presence. We have seen the movement. He is alive. We have seen the Lord. Let us pray. We bless you, O Lord, that you are alive. You dwell in our hearts, even when we shut our doors, even when we shut the doors of our cathedrals, you still reign in our hearts. You are still the living God. We thank you that our stories include having seen you and pray, O oh Lord, that you will be the God who reveals yourself to us each and every day and that we may faithfully follow you in all that we do. For we pray this in the name of the risen Christ, amen. Death cannot hold you, the veil tore before you, silence the slumber. <laughs> the heavens are roaring, da 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 da, for you are raised to life again. You have no
Oh, there we go. I forgot to say, if you are visiting today, if you would like to have a lily, we would love to send one home with you. So please take that as you go. And, sorry. Just keep doing one there. Keep doing one there. I'll, I'll get ready here. So I wanted to say, if you have been with us during the journey of Lent, you know we were taking these rocks and we were placing our burdens at the base of the cross, the things that separated us from God and from one another. Well, today, we don't want to give you anything to put down. We want to give you something to take home with you. And here it is. It's a fork. And here's why. My friend Bill Mallett was reading a book and he read this story about this little girl who um, just loved church suppers because when the older ladies were cleaning up, they would whisper in her ear and they'd say, save your fork. And she loved that because she knew something better was coming. Maybe it was chocolate cake, maybe it was apple pie or blueberry cobbler, but she knew something better was coming. And then that began to mark her life as a Christian because when Christ is here, what Pastor Steve was preaching about, when we have Christ right in here, something better is always coming. Not perfect, not without heartache, not without shadows, but we know how our God can take something dead and make it alive again. And we know how our God can take that thing that is so hard and bring something good out of it, right? So this little girl, when she grew up and became an old woman, she said, Pastor, when, they, when I die and they lay me out in my casket, put that fork in my hand so that people will ask and you can tell them because she knew Christ and she knew that something better was coming. As you leave today, there are forks. People are holding them for you to grab out of the baskets. And now may the love and grace of God the Father, the risen Lord Savior, and the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you on this day and every day. And God's people said, Amen.
Some people say he was a healer Who had his moment long ago Some even say his time is over But I don't want to talk about history Cause I know who he is to me He is hard